0: Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for all the things that you give to us in creation, that um, that you've created good, and that, Lord, you teach us that nothing in this world is to be rejected if we receive it with thanksgiving, and, and use it according to how you've designed it. And we pray, Lord, that understanding creation, we would understand ourselves and what we were made for, but also how all these things uh, point to Christ and how He is sanctified, again, and what it means to be human, that He's uh, glorified us through Him. And then, because of that, we can know that our humanity, our embodiedness is good, and that these things are created by You because You love and delight in who we are as Your creatures. So it's in Your Son's name we ask. Amen. So, this week we're starting off looking at what it means for God to be maker of heaven and earth, and then also what that entails for us. So we'll be looking at the creator-creature distinction and how that further depicts to us how we know God, how we know the world and ourselves. And then we'll begin start talking about the, uh, the next section of the Creed about Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord, and breaking down what each of those terms mean. So first, um, what it means that God is the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, We read in 1 Timothy 4, 4 that everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So in the beginning, you know, we're seeing that God created the heavens and the earth, which is the Bible's just way of saying that pretty much everything that is. Um, We already discussed... Uh, in the first quarter, how different the creation account is in the Bible versus the ancient myths that existed as well as the modern ones that really depict the essence of reality as violence. As the, e- the essence is this dog-eat-dog world where either you're climbing out of the primordial soup and trying to have the survival by the fittest, and that is the essence of what it means to be on this wa- earth, or that it's these, this violent battle between these two powerful deities, and and really that is the makeup of everything, um, getting to the top. But the creation story that we see is a picture of God's wonderful creation, that everything he's created is wonderful and beautiful and at peace, because that is the essence of, of reality is is God who is at peace with himself and with the world he's created. Um, but it also the creation account shows us something specific, like it's painting all these marvelous things. It's saying like you've seen the sky, you've seen the sun and the moon and the stars, and look at all these birds and the fish, and you've observed this landscape and the vegetation and the animals and the insects and human beings and all this together, uh, but it's constantly putting out this reminder, don't just look at the gifts. Don't just look at all these wonderful things, but look to the giver. Um, The giver is the artist, is the one who's on display, and we're constantly being reminded that God created this world for His glory, for His pleasure, and the world goes nuts, and chaos enters the world when we decide to take matters in our own hands and to be our own lords. So the creation story is really this picture of God creating something out of nothing. Um, he doesn't need anything, any pre-existing material to work with. He's not dependent on the world. He's not dependent on creation like the ancient myths showed him to be, showed the other gods to be. Um, God creates this wonderful world out of nothing, absolutely nothing free and unrestricted by his creation. And that just shows how much more powerful he is than any other god in this universe, any other one who's claiming power. So he's the maker of heaven and earth and all things that are in it. Um, And the big thing that we should take away is what we said is this creator-creature distinction. Uh, That is the Bible's basic view of God's lordship over everything, over providence and grace and how we even relate to him. Um, and that's why it's in the Creed, this maker of heaven and earth, because it's that important. Um, and and there's three things that we should think about when we look at that. It's first is like how we come to understand and know God. The second is how we understand the world around us. And the third is how we understand ourselves. Um, so this first part, How we come to understand God? Well, when we see that there's this infinite distance between us and God, that there's only two different realities, either your creator or your creation, and there's an infinite distance, um, we see that God must reveal Himself to us. Like, we can't just figure it out on our own. We can't in some sense, rationalize our way to him and climb these steps and this ladder to find him. He must come down to us and accommodate himself to us. Um, So God is the one who made us in his image, and the tendency as humans is to think that he's in our image, that he's just a figment of our imagination, that he's just this primordial urge and to kind of create something out as a crutch. And so we have to like create this God that's existence out, out there. Um, but this this safeguards us from that, this creator-creature distinction that God who is infinite must take the initiative to reveal himself to us and that we are therefore dependent on him, that we exist by His will and His pleasure, and not Him for us. And that's that's a huge important thing because nothing in the Bible will make sense without that. There's not a single thing in the Bible that will be remar- remarkable or miraculous if we don't understand that infinite distinction and then how marvelous it is that the Incarnation, something like that, would happen. That the infinite God would become human. So, First, God as as the creator is not limited in the ways that we are. As creatures, we're limited. We can't know everything at once. We can't be present everywhere. We can't know all things or continue unchanged throughout the years of our lives. Um, But God, our creator, is not limited in those specific ways. He's, in that sense, incomprehensible to us. Uh, That doesn't mean he doesn't make sense it's just that he's he exceeds our grasp he's far above our highest thoughts that we can no more take his measurement or understand his ways than our dogs or our cats can measure our ways and that's just like that analogy we're we're actually closer to our dogs and cats than anything else like even if that's if that's so much true for that how much more is it for god who's infinitely above us in all things. So, we have to use this and understand that God must reveal himself to us so that we don't start infecting our understanding of God with our own preconceived notions of reality of how God should act, that God has to act this way, that God must show himself to us and whatever it is. Um, To know God or anything, we have to be on the receiving end. We have to receive that knowledge of who God is. And this is one of the things that um, different teachers in the church have called accommodation, that God is, uses baby talk to communicate to us. Um, and by that, we mean, if you think of a mother or a father with their little child they're stooping down and communicating in a way that they will understand. It's not that it's untrue, but when they're trying to say, don't touch the stove because it lets off all this heat and energy, it's going to burn the skin off your hand. Like they're not going to understand that. So they have to reach down to the level that they're at and they communicate, you know, ouch, this is not good. This will hurt you. And so God in many ways is not doing this to patronize us, but he's, stooping down to our creaturely level and using this baby talk to, to give us analogies and to give us pictures of what he is like and how we can trust him like that good parent. Um, so God must accommodate himself to us and give us the revelation about who he is. Otherwise, left to our own imaginations, we're going to create idols. We're going to create all these different things that we are just going to use as a crutch to get through life. Um, So that's the first thing that that creator-creature distinction is getting at. The second thing is how God then informs our understanding of the world. Um, The world exists in its present stable condition, and it's a state that we see it in because of God's will. As the power of God is seen in creation... It's also seen in, in his providence and his care for the world. Um, it really is somewhat of a miracle that the, the world doesn't just dive, delve into chaos more than it does. Um, it's a miracle in some sense that we don't get into an accident every time we go out to drive. That the wheels just spin off our car and we just careen into another car. Um, that there's some stability to laws of nature, that there's some stability to everything, is God's good hand in providence, that he's holding all these things together so that the atoms in the universe don't split apart. Like He's, he's actively has his mind on everything because he's this infinite God, that if he stopped thinking about it for a moment, not everything would cease to exist. Like that's how involved he is in this world. He keeps stooping down and reaching and reaching to bring order out of the chaos that we have brought into the world. Um, So everything in this world is held up by his hand and everything in this world is his. So we aren't free to do with it whatever we want. Uh, We aren't... The owners of this world, we're only stewards. Like as we said at the beginning, like everything is a gift to be received with thanksgiving that we can rejoice in, uh, that we can really enjoy, but we're only stewards of them. There's any, everything in this life that we had that's good, we're only stewards. And this world is, is God's, which means that God doesn't hate matter. He doesn't hate our embodied existence. he doesn't hate us enjoying things. Um, I think it's worth taking the time to say like a lot of religion out there and even Christianity kind of goes under this guise that the material world's evil, that pleasure is evil, that human desires are evil. I don't know if you've heard that growing up at all like I did. Um, but that's not Christianity. that's not the view of the Bible. Reality, as experienced through our body and through our experiences, um, are how God made us. Now, sin takes those things and distorts those things, but inherently in themselves, there's nothing wrong with being an embodied human being. God loves matter, you know, He invented it. Um, Anything that tries to say we need to escape our body and escape this mortal coil, that our bodies is a cage, is is not Christianity. Um, matter was created by God and it was good in His eyes and it should be also in ours. Um, and I think that, that as we're kind of coming on the Advent season and, so, and it's celebrating Christmas, I think that's something that the incarnation of Jesus really points out to us of how much God loves what, humanity. Not just like in this abstract sense, but also our embodiedness as how we relate to him. Um, the incarnation means that being human has been sanctified and been made holy again. And there's nothing wrong with it. So even our bodies, even our bodies in this world are gifts that God has given us to enjoy. And all those things that God has given us, we are to be this have this po- this posture of being stewards that we're would be grateful for the generosity that God has given to us. That God values this world, this physical creation, and so should we. So, in some sense, like Christians, should be the best environmentalists out there, um, in the best in the best sense. Christians should care the most about what happens to people 's bodies. Christians should care the most about what happens to their physical environment and being stewards to pass on to the next generation this this world that God has given to us as a gift we don't it's not ours to torture it's not ours to suck all the, the living daylights out of, but something that we're supposed to cultivate like like Adam and Eve were' supposed to cultivate the garden um, So this this understanding of God as maker of heaven and earth helps us understand who God is, the world is, but then also ourselves. That We kind of talked about this last week that man is not his own maker and we shouldn't think of ourselves as as the masters of our fate, as the the people who control our destiny. Um, No, God made us, God made me and you for himself to serve him. And so God's claim upon us is a fact of life that we constantly have to remind, remind ourselves of because it, in many, w- many ways, gives us a healthy sense of who we are as creatures. Um, we talked about this last week, but to be human, to be created, to have a human nature means that we are created for a certain goal. That goal is what gives us purpose and meaning. And when we start trying to mess with that, that's when sorrow and all kinds of chaos enter our, our lives. Because God created us to, as our catechism tells us, to in- glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we start breaking that down in, in our lives, that's when things become painful. Um, as as one other church thinker said, that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And the reason why that is is because God can't give us happiness apart from himself, as C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said that there is no such thing as happiness apart from God. And so that's why when Christ comes into this world, he's making this dramatic statement. He's saying that there's not an inch of this world that he is not saying, mine. He's claiming again this whole created world. And so, what it means that we should understand that God is the maker of heaven and earth is really saying creation, all of life, our bodies, ourselves, this world, are gifts from God. All of life is a gift and we were made as that that verse said in 1st Timothy that we read we were made for joy and gratitude to receive all those things with thanksgiving specifically from the giver's hand from God himself and when we make this confession before the world that's what we're saying is that God is who we're made for and God is beginning to restore that joy in us now even though it can be hard to feel that way during the week. Um, We're receiving all of life as creation. Receiving all of this that God has made as he intended it means, as I keep saying, that it's to be received as a gift. Not something we can lord over or use for our own ends, but specifically with the goal and the purpose that God has in mind. So, In conclusion to this section, when we begin to understand who we are in relationship to God, we can really rest in Him and we can live with ourselves as creatures and try, and we can just let go of trying to create our own goals and purposes in life. We can leave that at God's hand and trust that He is the good God and Father who holds all those things together. Um, so that really really reveals to us who this God and Father Almighty is, that we know His name and we can trust ourselves to Him. We can worship Him knowing that He really cares for us. So um, that really leads us into the next section about Jesus Christ. I think that really the marvelous thing that we're seeing here is that God's glory, the creation story is showing that God's glory and our happiness, our salvation, are actually the same thing. That's kind of weird how it sounds like that, but we often think of God's glory as this abstract kind of thing that, you know, like, oh, this His glory. Um... But that's not even how the creed is actually set up. We're seeing that this glorious, almighty God and Father, who's the maker of heaven and earth, is actually wedded and, you, and brought down to us His glory, and He's made that the same thing as our happiness. That our well-being and our salvation is now God's glory. And that's why it actually just leads right into and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. Uh, and we read that in John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Talking about Jesus. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in Jesus Christ, we see the person who most glorifies the Father, is now glorified in becoming a human. He's glorified in bringing us salvation and our happiness back. Um, and we'll see that in, in, in three different points. Just first discussing what the word Jesus means. I think we just like say that word so much that we just even miss the full significance of that word. And same thing with Christ and Lord. (laughs) So just let's unpack those things a little bit. Um, This is the first Sunday in Advent, which we will be celebrating today. And all of that is this great anticipation of what God would do in sending His Son into the world. And now the creed begins, has this second section which says that after believing in God the Father, that Jesus Christ is his only Son and our Lord. Um, when we read about God being the Father, who is the maker of heaven and earth, Christianity parts companies with Hinduism and Buddhism and all these Eastern faiths and a whole other, a lot of pagan different religions. But now by calling Jesus Christ God's only Son, it also parts company with Islam and Judaism uh, because this claim that Jesus is the Son of God is the cornerstone, the touchstone of Christianity and really the ingredient that makes everything unique about it. The whole New Testament was actually written just to justify this one claim. The whole New Testament is an eyewitness account declaring that this is the reality. 1 Corinthians 15 stakes everything, all the blue chips, on Jesus being the only begotten Son who is raised from the dead. Um, it even goes so far to say is that we shouldn't even practice religion or be good if that's not true. That's the radical claim. And then it goes further in saying that there is no knowledge of God apart from Jesus Christ. We can't even know the Father apart from the Son. Any other god apart from Jesus is the devil. Like that's how radical it's saying it is. Like there's there's no other name or person by which we know the Father than through the Son. And so that means that Christ, in many ways, that's why Christ is the center of Christianity because He is this great key. He's the great mediator of this infinite divide. He's the mediator between God and man who bridges that gap. So what does it mean that Jesus was called Jesus? Um, Jesus is merely the Greek... For the the word Joshua, which means, uh, or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. So if you remember back from the first week when we described God the Father, we said that Yahweh was the name that revealed to Moses as the specific unique name of God and how he's revealed himself. So Jesus' very name is saying that Yahweh is the one who's coming to save. It's his proper name that identifies who this historical person was. That he was born from Mary and he was from Nazareth in Galilee. The specific Jewish carpenter who was this rabbi for three years and put to death by the Roman authorities in AD about A.D. 30. Um, and that builds on what Christ what it means that he's called the Christ. Now, a lot of people think that that's kind of like his last name. Um, that's kind of like what people hear. Jesus Christ is kind of like, you know, Masaro after Tim, you know. But it's not a surname. It's not a last name. But it's much more like a title. Like what we'd say, King Charles II. Um, Christ was his office title, identifying Jesus with what the Old Testament said was the Messiah. So Christos, or Christ, is just the same idea of the Anointed One as the Messiah from the Old Testament. So what does that mean? Um, Christ is being identified, Jesus Christ is being identified as this appointed, anointed king whom the Jews had been long waiting for. That Christ was the one who is sent to bring God's heavenly kingdom. So if you guys remember way back from the first quarter, we talked about how Adam and Eve failed to bring heaven down to earth. Um, that they were supposed to bring this heavenly kingdom onto earth itself. And they failed to do that. And so a second Adam had to come to bring God's peace and his shalom and his heaven back down to earth and so the old testament had all their hopes and dreams that this messiah would come and do that and so jesus being called christ is saying that he's the one who you waited for he's the one that is going to bring heaven to earth Um, that christ is claiming this universal dominion that everyone would have to recognize and so this is the end that Christ died and he lived so that he would be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So that at the name of Jesus, every name would bow. So this is a really important thing that we can easily just brush over. Um, the early church knew when they said Jesus Christ is Lord that they were committing treason in the Roman Empire. That they were creating, tre- they were committing treason in this whole present evil age. And what do I mean by that? They, they were making this real statement that Caesar, or whoever was the empire emperor of the time, could not give them happiness, could not bring them peace, could not bring them shalom, could not bring them joy. And to say that Jesus was the Christ, the Lord, was, to, was this political treasonous act to say that only Yahweh could save His people and bring that about. And Christ, as the Anointed One, did that in three ways. Um, how many of you remember the three different offices that we talked about in the Old Testament? There are three different specific things that Christ came to fulfill all of, all of whom were anointed. so you had the king, the prophet and the priest. and all of those things are being funneled into Christ as the Messiah. So a prophet, I mean boiled down as a messenger from God, the priest is the one who brings the sacrifice and comes before God's presence. And the king is the one who rules God's people and protects them. And Christ is the one who brings all those things to bear for each one of us, um, fulfilling our actual needs. First, he does that by bringing us, that we talked about before, that God himself must reveal himself to us. So God in Christ is revealing all that we need to know. Excuse me about God. All the things that we're ignorant about, that we need instruction in, we see in Jesus. Like he's that perfect word from the Father revealing the Father to us. So that's that's one of the reasons that John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because he's the perfect word from the Father revealing who he is to us. Who he was always at God's side and His presence, knowing Him more than anyone else. So Jesus, the one who perfectly reveals that God to us. Uh, second, we we need reconciliation. Um, he is coming as this priest and sacrificed, who's mediating a broken relationship with God, and we who are unaccepted and unforgiven unblessed and strangers are now brought into that rel- that relationship back again because Christ is our priest he's accepting us and forgiving us and making us heirs of the king and and he's also as a king the one who guides and protects us and strengthens us and is the one who shepherds us to our Savior and to our God. Um, The Bible often uses the term sheep for us for a real specific reason, that Christ is our shepherd, because we're so blind and ignorant and broken and weak and, and full of folly that we constantly need a shepherd who's guarding us and protecting us, who's kicking out the wolves, and who's bringing us back to the Father. And so Jesus Christ is this one who fulfills that as Christ. That's what it means to be the Christ, the anointed one, that he's our perfect prophet, priest, and king. That Christ is the one who's fully revealed the secret counsel of God concerning our redemption. That he's made this perfect sacrifice as our priest, and he's constantly making intercession for us even now. And then also on top of that, he perfectly he governs us by his word and his spirit and defending us as our king so all of those things are packed into what it means that yahweh saves yeshua joshua he is the christ the messiah all those things are what they would have the early christians would have meant when they said that jesus christ is lord And so that means when we make this confession in the creed, what we're really saying is that we cannot find salvation or improve our standing before God or do anything to change our relationship to him outside of Jesus. That Jesus is alone our Savior and the complete one who's bringing us everything that we need for salvation. We don't have to look for Jesus and the saints. We don't have to look to Jesus and how how good of repenters we are. We don't have to look to Jesus and how good we're feeling today. No, everything that we need to bridge this infinite divide has been fulfilled in Jesus. And that's what faith and making this credo statement, I believe, is about. It's that allegiance. It's that treasonous act in our present evil age that we're in some sense, uh, as one of my previous professors like to say, we have to apostatize from our culture to make this statement and to believe it. We have to be apostates to this present evil world when we say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because what we're saying is... Our happiness, our salvation, the good life, shalom and peace, can be found in no other name than His. And for God to come down and say, That is my glory, Jesus, and your salvation is my glory, we have to say that salvation is found in no one else. God has tied Himself and His glory to our good forever. And so that's a staggering kind of thing when we understand, like, this is why when people said this, they were thrown to the lions in the 2nd century and 1st century because they were saying Caesar can't do any of those things. You know, welfare can't do any of those things. Um, Insurance can't do any of those things. Being entertained to death can't do any of those things. Those things can't Give us the peace that God is giving us. Um, so, this is what the beginning of what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord. That this person who was born by this certain Middle Eastern Palestinian woman named Mary was also the second person of the eternal Godhead. Um, this word who created all things was the means by which God created all things and sustaining everything by the hand of his power is also the one who became human and is also the one by which our salvation has been accomplished. So this is the heart of Christianity. That's why it's the center of the creed that we confess. This is the center of what it means to be Christians. We're, we're the ones who are in Christ, the anointed one. And that the Word of God, the Word of became flesh and became a human being and He lived among us. So, when we say that He is now our Lord, what, what does that mean? So, that follows... From everything that we've been really been just been saying, um, that Jesus is God the Son, the co-creator of the world, but He's also Christ, the Anointed King and Savior, who's risen from the death and reigning at God's right hand, as we'll talk about in later weeks. That He's in the place of all power and authority. That God, the Father, has given Him all power and authority to rule us, and we have no right to resist that claim and so when we say that jesus is lord we're not making him lord or savior of our lives i think that's like because we've forgotten all this all this stuff of what it means that god is the maker of heaven and earth what it means for him to be god we think that we can make him savior of our lives and lord no like he is the Savior and the Lord, and faith, trusting in Him, is really resting in that reality. Um, everything is broken, you know. The dam has broken, and the flood is coming, and we're not going to change anything by trying to make Jesus Savior and Lord. No, He is, and we just have to rest in that, or we will get caught away in the flood. Like the flood is coming, and all we can do with that reality is jump into the ark, jump into the boat to be saved. And that's what that faith is, that Jesus and God has invaded this world. He's having this campaign, and he's taking things over. One day at a time, he's advancing his kingdom. He's invading space. He did so 2,000 years ago, and he's also doing it every single day in our lives. Um. with the same purpose of love that he had that first brought him to the earth. And so when we make, we make this, this confession, we're hearing, it's because we heard Jesus say to us, each of us individually, come follow me. And that was his word to us then and still to us now, that he's making us his disciples. And we are standing up with next to Jesus under his reign making that statement of allegiance that happiness and peace can only come through him Um, and I think that that's kind of really part of where the rub where the rubber hits the road for us today I think that when we you know we partition our lives and sequester things off in our lives you know, between our religion and maybe our lifestyle choices, between what we do on Sunday from the rest of the week, I think like that is probably one of the things that makes Christianity the most difficult thing to live with because it doesn't let us do that because Christ is constantly invading this world and saying this is my this is my world and what we are saying when we try to do that, when we try to separate our lives off, is that Christ really can't provide what he's offering. Um, thinking that we can be sovereign over our lifestyle choices, and you know, like, and then Jesus over there with religion and salvation, and we can just kind of jump back and forth, uh, is probably one of the biggest causes of sorrow in our own lives. We think that it's going to make us happy, but it really isn't uh, because our whole lives, our pocketbooks, our time, our energy, our dreams must be given over to Jesus. Um, I think the hardest thing to do, the harder thing to do is to give 99% of your life to Jesus and hold on to 1%. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but you want to become like, have multiple personalities and become schizophrenic in all of life if you're just going to try to, like, hold on to one dream. And like, Jesus, yes, you can have my life, but just this one dream I'm going to hold on to. And I, I think that that's why the Christian life is so difficult because it's constantly having to realize and recognize that Jesus won't ever be satisfied with less than 100% of us. And so making this claim that he's Lord is saying Jesus you can have my dreams my hasper aspirations my embodiment my sexuality my pocketbook my time my market you know like my 401k all those things are have to be handed over to him day after day uh, obviously it's not going to be all oh, I did it once and now I'm good you know <laughs> no but this is the constant confession this constant credo I believe that we have to do every single day like we have to start over again just like it never happened before. Um, Jesus Christ wants all those things from us and the only way that we start resting is if we give 100% and recognize that he is the Savior and Lord of our lives. And, but, but how can we do that? I think that's kind of like part of the tension. How can we actually do that? Well, I think it's, it's really understanding what it means to be a Christian, to be in Christ as little Christ, anointed ones. Um, what it means to be in Christ means that because he's invaded time and space, he's invaded our lives and our kingdoms, our, our terrible attempts at creating our own goals and purposes and happiness, um, his spirit has made us partakers of his anointing that 's what it means to be a Christian that we can rightly now speak of god 's will and know god 's will for our lives and his salvation. Uh, we can now rightly confess God to the world and to our own hearts. We can speak the gospel to our hearts now when we 're when we 're distracted and and distressed and trying to live for ourselves. We can present our bodies as living sacrifices and constantly die to those hopes and aspirations apart from God. We're not going to be a sacrifice of atonement, but like the passage we said, like we're, th- we're sacrifices of praise, of thanksgiving. Um, and so we are purified by Jesus, and we can live with a pure conscience. Um, Because Christ has cleansed us with his blood as our perfect priest, we can have confidence and move on even though our past may feel awful and our future may seem bleak. All of the things that we hope to get with our dreams and aspirations won't amount to anything compared to what Christ is giving to us. And so we can fight also as kings and queens that are anointed with Jesus we can then daily battle our sins. We can da- ba- daily battle the devil who tempts us. And we can know that we will reign with him in eternity in his kingdom. So that is why we can daily give our 100% of our dreams and aspirations and our lives to Jesus because we are united to him. That is why we can make this faith and this ultimate allegiance claim That is the only reason. If it was up to us, we would fail. And we do fail, but we're united to Jesus, so he keeps getting us up and picking us up and allowing us to make the good confession. And the reason we can do that is because Jesus is God's beloved Son with whom he is well pleased. And so that's why we can listen to him. Um... Oh. Any thoughts or questions or before moving on? I know that was a lot, but I really think like that that we that confession of what Jesus Christ is Lord is, is such an earth shattering thing. It's such a a revolutionary rebellious thing to say in our day. To be a Christian is to be radical and, and crazy. And but in many ways it's the most sane thing in the world because we're letting go we're letting go of trying to control our lives and our facebook statuses and our salvation by facebook works and trying to <laughs> and trying to like look appealing to the universe and be present everywhere and we can be we can always present on all things um we can let go of those things because we're creatures and because we're in christ But any other questions, any questions about any of the stuff that we've covered or thoughts or anything that struck you? Doesn't have to be a question. Norman? Yeah. uh, Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that a little more in the next section. All right, um, man, not enough time to really hit the next section um but let's see here. I know <laughs> sorry <laughs> the next section is going to his only begotten son. oh, that's I don't know it'll probably take too long um that's probably a good place to end then for the week. <laughs> Sorry, that was a painful decision. I was just like... <laughs> you just go for it in in 10 minutes. Uh, I know. Yeah, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. <laughs> uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us and unpacking a little bit more of what it means to be creatures who are your creatures, who've been created for a specific destiny and purpose. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to stand in awe of what you've done for us and your Son, and what it means to be a Christian and confess your name in this world. Um, it, is, it is difficult living in this secular age where we're pulled to and fro by every single wind of new doctrine and teaching, by every single kingdom of pleasure and hedonistic desire that makes your kingdom seem small. But in reality, those things actually don't believe in goodness and pleasure. Those things don't believe in true happiness. They're like making mud pies while you have a holiday at the sea awaiting us, a kingdom that can't be measured. So we pray, Lord, that that would be the heart cry of our hearts when we make this confession and that you'd prepare our heart for worship now, and as we go to worship with your people, and in your Son's name we ask. Amen.